and welcome to Conversations on Climate. My name is Chris Caldwell and this series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. We sit down with the experts who are trying to solve the biggest challenge of our time before time runs out. Today our guest is Rupert Merton, an adjunct professor here at London Business School. Rupert specialises in guiding businesses, especially family-run, owner-managed and smaller ventures through growth, turnaround and the unique challenges faced by the entrepreneurial venture. Unlike many, Rupert's business philosophy leans towards the artistic and the practical rather than the scientific and the abstract. His expertise spans growth, conflict resolution, governance and succession planning in owner-managed and family businesses. Not only is Rupert an award-winning lecturer, but he also has a knack for adding a touch of humour and lightness to business discussions. A refreshing perspective in the business education realm. Our conversation with Rupert was both captivating and grounded. He shared a wealth of anecdotes and insights, all framed within the context of long-term sustainability and the need for continuous evolution in our ever-changing world. This is a conversation that you won't want to miss. Around 80% of people who listen to this podcast haven't hit the follow button. If I could ask you for a small favour, if you do enjoy our conversations, please do hit that follow button on your app. It would help us in the show more than I could possibly say. Thank you and enjoy the conversation. Rupert, thank you so much for, for coming and spending some time to talk to us. Sorry. My pleasure. You've said that in the past that your English degree is more important to your understanding of and your approach to business than your accountancy qualification. Would you care to explain that a little to us? Yes, it's a it's a, a, a grand piece of rhetoric, isn't it? Uh, and uh, uh, at the risk of uh, contradicting myself, of course, uh, my accountancy qualification, my other professional qualifications, are uh, uh, hugely important to the way I think about the business world. And uh, those qualifications are hugely influential in the way other people think about the business world as well. But. Um, uh, a uh, arts perspective, uh, English literature degree, I'm also a musician on the side, um, makes me increasingly unusual in uh, uh, the business school. Uh, not unique, but unusual. Uh, and I'm m minded indeed of a um, time when I first taught in India at the Indian School of Business in Hyderabad. And I always introduce myself. I've got the English degree, anybody else got an English degree? Nobody puts their hand up, which is not unusual. Uh, and then I point to the first fellow and say, what's your first degree in? And he says, engineering. And then I ask, who else has got a degree in engineering? And the whole room, 80 people, put their hand up. Everybody in uh, an Indian business school doing a equivalent of an MBA uh, has a degree in engineering. And it uh, made me think we worry a lot in uh, business about diversity, rightly so, gender diversity, age diversity, um, other types of diversity. We come up with new ones every every year. Um, but one form of diversity I think we pay insufficient attention to is intellectual diversity. And if you stuff your businesses full of engineers, then the business is going to think and behave like an engineered construct which is not necessarily good or bad, but it does necessarily restrict the way it will behave or, or think. Uh, likewise, if you stuff your senior business team is full of lawyers, which is an American approach, uh, where a lot of people will, uh, will go down a legal route before they flip into other things, 
then you can hardly be surprised if your attitude to business is legalistic. At the heart of it, there's a confrontation. There are experts um, uh, ordered on both sides. Um, you have a fierce debate, and then there is a resolution. Somebody rules, and you quieten down, and then you move forward. Again, nothing wrong with it, but uh, if you think like that, uh, if you're dominated by that mindset, then what are you excluding from your type of thinking? In the UK, in, in business circles, we're still a, uh, a, a business environment that's dominated by accountants. I suspect the business school might not like to hear that, but it's true. Boards of uh, big businesses certainly are dominated by accountants in the UK. The uh, ACA, uh, ACCA qualifications are still seen as the most typical route into a business education and then into business in the UK. Again, you know, if your boards are dominated by accountants, then you shouldn't be surprised if you have a accounting mentality, perhaps to the exclusion of other type, types of mentality in your decision taking and your uh, thinking. Um, uh, wouldn't it be better, philosophically at least, to use your word, if uh, boards, senior management teams had um, an accountant and a lawyer uh, and an engineer and perish the thought an English literature graduate um, in, in the uh, mix? I would like to think that the quality of the discussion would be broader, richer, slower perhaps, um, but perhaps more likely to reach a uh, quality answer than one that's necessarily limited in the resource that it draws on. Uh, and I think that um, I have a sentimental, more than sentimental, yearning for the days when a classical education, a literary education, a a musical education was considered uh, Im important for those taking senior roles in business, industry, government, politics, uh, in a way that is uh, not true anymore. Um, that uh, STEM matters to the exclusion almost of everything else. And certainly those kids who are going to state schools find it less and less likely that they'll be able to uh, be educated in things that are not directly related to the, uh, uh, the world of earning money. That's a matter of regret, and I, I think the world is poor for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. One thing I don't agree with you with is that uh, you come to a quicker decision if it's a room full of lawyers. I've been <laughs> many rooms full of lawyers. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but one thing that I think we can um, kind of dig down a little bit more in, I think we all understand where the, uh, what lawyers bring, what accountants bring, uh, what engineers bring into a room. Get kind of dig into what, what an artist brings into the room, what, a, what an English literature graduate, what a classical education graduate brings into the room. Well, this takes us back to the humanist perspective uh, it takes us uh, uh, to an understanding of our fellow humankind, which we're more likely to get from a novel than for a clear analysis of a debit and a credit, or a mathematical equation from, from that point of view. Uh, uh, an understanding of our history makes it uh, less likely that we're going to commit the same mistakes again. Exploration of literature makes it more likely that we're going to understand uh, uh, good and evil before we get there. And, and commit the same mistakes ourselves. Um, uh, uh, 
I've read somewhere, don't ask me where, and I agree that a re relationship with literature uh, helps us develop uh, capabilities of sympathy and empathy uh, quicker, more robustly than um, uh, uh, many other forms of intellectual activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, certainly a lot quicker than interactions with spreadsheets, for sure. <laughs> Now I've had the privilege of uh, being in your in your lectures, you know, many, many far too many years ago, <laughs> for, for my own comfort. But one thing that was really clear was that uh, they were genuinely fun, and I really, really enjoyed them. I learned a lot, but really, really enjoyed them. So you clearly think that humour is an important part of, of business and business education. Uh, could you care to explain that? I think that if we uh, take it too seriously, we deprive ourselves of a, a significant tool. Um, I think that um, one of the uh, uh, increasingly few, that's not a contradiction in terms, gifts that the English bring to the world is a sense of humour, uh, the, um, the act of comedy. Um, uh, we take our humour seriously uh, in, in this country, much to the uh, 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 f frustration of other places around the world and misunderstanding as well. But a sense of humour brings um, a mechanism for defusing tension. It brings a mechanism for approaching the most difficult subjects um, in a way that uh, would be more difficult to do, if not impossible to do, without uh, lacing them with a sense of humour. It helps introduce c colour, sympathy, uh, um, e empathy as well into, into a discussion. Um, it's also part of being human. Um, I think that um, we do ourselves a disservice if we rely uh, purely on our content at the heart of our message. Uh, we uh, need to worry about how we deliver the, our content. Um, I always think that if people laugh what I'm talking about, they will enjoy it, as you've done. They're more likely to remember it, and if they're more likely to remember it, surely that's at the heart of a uh, good quality learning experience, assuming what it is that they're learning is worth uh, l learning, of course. Um, uh, but I don't think that uh, uh, things need to be humourless in order for them to be I important or significant, far from it. Um, I think that uh, the uh, use of humour uh, uh, enhances an education experience and it also enhances a boardroom discussion as well. Okay. And uh, one of the, if we can move on uh, slightly, one of the topics, one of the problems that you talk about is the problem of growth. Yes. You know? <clears throat> so there's uh, a you know, general perception of that growth is um, something that every company, country, you know, wants, needs and desires. Um, but sometimes growth happens by accident. You get, you get, you get caught, caught short in it. And it's something you've written on quite, uh, quite extensively. Instead of kind of focusing in on kind of growth models, um, and like the science, as we were talking about before, could you talk about um, like why does growth catch people out? Why does growth catch people out? Because people make the mistake of assuming that something that's big uh, is the only difference between something that's big and something that's small is is, is size. <clears throat> that a, a bigger business is the same as a smaller business. It's just bigger. It might be a bit more complicated, but essentially, it's uh, bigger. And the mistake is to fail to acknowledge that a bigger business is necessarily qualitatively different, um, as well as quantitatively different from a smaller business. It, uh, there's a change there, lots of changes there. 
changes that don't all happen at once, of course. Uh, and uh, if you uh, are not aware of the change, if you're not working on the change, then you're making it uh, more likely that uh, growth will be a pr problem rather than a solution to your problem. Um, so uh, at heart, that's, that, that's I suppose, the, the uh, answer to your question, that failure to acknowledge the uh, change that comes with growth or the change that you need before you can achieve growth. And I suppose that's where things become particularly interesting mm. because on the face of it, a growing business is a successful business. Otherwise, it wouldn't be growing. Um, uh, and the uh, uh, problem is that it's difficult to change something that's successful. If it's growing, it's successful. If it's, if it's successful, why change it? Personally, I think that's a... Um, uh, metaphysical argument rather than a, uh, a pr pragmatic one. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in many ways um, uh, growth is about managing the pain that comes with it uh, uh, rather than uh, trying to, uh, trying to uh, eliminate it in advance. Uh, and I think that if you understand it's going to happen, if you know what it's going to be looking like, you can manage it to the better uh, rather than eliminate it. Mm -hmm. I'll go, go further, I think that if you manage to grow without the pain, you're also missing out on something. Um, kind of taking it back to kind of our, like our core audience here, the kind of the the, uh, the people who tend to watch this show. There's a significant portion of them who are quite who are very kind of purpose driven, and uh, they set up businesses and start businesses with the idea of doing of, like with the primary purpose of doing goods of of solving a particular need. Might be in the environmental world, might be in the sustainability world, but might be something that is kind of philosophically it kind of it, it's it bonds with them. And in a lot of cases, they suddenly find themselves successful and growing almost by accident. How do people? How do individuals manage to hold on to what got them there in the first place? with the pressures of growth? Uh, it's, uh, it's a real challenge. Um, uh, and I think it's probably worth exploring the problem in a bit more detail first. Um, uh, 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 growth equals change. Uh, one of the changes that could be is, is, is a change away from what it is that made the business successful in the first place. Um, uh, I think many individuals set out on a business to, to achieve a, a specific target or specific goal. But I think p part of the problem there is to, to fail to realise that there are other things going on at the same time, other goals, um, uh, goals that might be articulated or might not be, the goals um, that other people might have that will be related to yours, of course, otherwise they wouldn't have joined you in your, your, your journey, but will be different. Um, and I think that part of the pr problem here is to, to, to accept that in a bigger business, the uh, purpose of the business, the, uh, the goals are necessarily going to be more complicated than they, than they were when they started. Um, years ago, I did participate in a study, not an academic study, it was a study in my old firm of businesses that were growing uh, and one of the areas we were exploring was precisely in and around this area of purpose and mm. its relation to growth um, and one thing that we found was that the leaders of the business, the founders of the business always well, invariably took the view that uh, uh, not only did they understand what they were attempting to do with the business but they 
uh, and what they're attempting to do is well understood by everybody else in the business <coughs> and everybody else in the business not only understood it but agreed with it <coughs> and were fully aligned with it uh, but uh, of course when we uh, researched those other people we found that that, 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 that wasn't true uh, not only were they not aligned, um, but uh, the, there's a perception that their perception wasn't accepted by um, other people within the organisation. This mismatch of objective and purpose, mismatch also of uh, what needed to be fixed in order to help the organisation grow still further. Big lesson from there as to how it's so easy to assume that everybody knows what the organisation is about. Uh, what's the matter with it, uh, what it's trying to achieve, and why it can't achieve it. Uh, but uh, a failure to have a robust conversation uh, about, uh, about that leaves all of these inconsistencies and un un uncertainties, misunderstandings in the, in the dark there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed, and uh, creates all sorts of interesting conflicts, which are very difficult to manage as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah so that's a, a different story. Um, we've kind of moved, we've slightly moved to, to kind of large organisations. Um, if we can kind of rest there for a moment, and there's going to be, there's going to be plenty of organisations out there who have been kind of growing up to a point, very much focused on growth. But now there's an increasing kind of pressure in the world, be it from their employees, from their customers, um, towards a more, less short-term growth focus and more kind of sustainability focus, more, more, more longer term. How are your clients dealing with, the, with, with that pressure or change or how do you see that, that coming out in the world? Yes, well, I think that the world uh, for some time now has moved away from a simplistic uh, understanding that gr growth is a key objective in and of its own right. Um, uh, I think, of course there are organisations out there who w would argue that growth is, is, is a sine qua non, it's, it's without which nothing else is going to happen, so we, so we need always to push for growth. Um, but there are uh, examples of businesses that have chosen to get go in the face of that or to or not, not grow at all. Um, uh, and I often think that in a post-internet world, uh, if I can d describe it as such, the uh, ability to satisfy other ambitions uh, on behalf of individuals um, is easier. Well, there are alternative ways of doing it now other than by uh, growing. And again, back to the professional service world, um, I think that uh, pre-internet, uh, to be influential, to be uh, powerful, to be um, well rewarded, uh, you need to be part of a large organisation. I think that uh, post-internet, that's not necessarily true. And indeed, I think th some of the big professional service organisations rightly worry about the costs of being big and somewhat concerned about the flexibility the fluidity, uh, the reach of smaller boutique organisations in the in same industries that have a, a reach and authority, respect and an ability to make money for themselves uh, that uh, was what wasn't the case um, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, that's as much a function of technology as it is of uh, anything else, I think. Whether that's led to has led by, gone hand in hand with changes of attitude on the part of individuals or not, is a moot point, I think. Um, and I don't think it really matters. Um, I think we're in a world where 
attitudes to growth are somewhat different uh, in in many in industries than they were, um, as I say, a few decades ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At, the, at the same time, um, some measure of growth is always going to be important, of course. Uh, risk of being philo philosophical again, if you start on your own as an entrepreneur, uh, your first act is going to be to get bigger in one sense or another. Uh, you're going to end up with more people, growth. You're going to end up with more customers, growth. You're going to end up with more products, growth. You're going to end up with more marketplaces to sell them in. That's, that, that, that's growth. So we're, we're not talking about replacing growth. We're talking about changing attitudes to um, uh, uh, growth, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and just valuing a more appreciating that it's more complicated than just looking at one single number and metric. And if you're trying to get long-term growth, perhaps you don't just need to look at next quarter, you might, might need to look at... Yes, uh, or paradoxically, if you're uh, worried about growth, one thing that you need to you need to accept is you need to think about more than just growth. Mm. It's interesting to use the, the, other, the S word, the sustainability word, which of course uh, only means one thing at the moment, and, and rightly so, but sustainability also uh, is relevant in a growth sense. You can grow something for two, three, four years, but can you grow it for 20, 30, 40 years? Can your growth itself be sustainable? That's not taking us to sustainability in an eco sense, but sustainability in a perpetuation sense. Um, as with everything on, uh, in the world of business, nothing is eternal, so sooner or later something has to stop or, or, or change again, and that's, that, that's true for growth too. Mm. Uh, but I would argue, I think, that a business that has a sustainable attitude to growth is quite likely to have a sustainable attitude to other things as well, <coughs> because otherwise it's never going to achieve sustainable growth in the first place. Mm. Uh, I think uh, <coughs> uh, you can make money with a, a quick growth flash in the pan, uh, but you're not building a sustainable business, and I think you're more likely to and not have a robust approach to some of the other things that come under the heading of sustainability as well. Mm, no, no, I fully agree. Uh, mm. Would it be fair to then kind of draw the line? Because if you say that growth is about transformation and you can't, you can't grow in the long term without sustainability, is, can you draw a line between sustainability and the ability to be continually evolving and transforming? Um, well, there's a logic there, isn't there? Uh, and I think that that uh, is uh, a logic that I'm sympathetic to, um, and that takes us back to where we we're starting in terms of intellectual diversity uh, and the importance of uh, continuing to challenge your own way of thinking, uh, not resting on your laurels, not accepting that you've got it right, not accepting that one way of thinking is the only way of thinking um, that uh, part of growth is, is change, part of sustainability is continually uh, changing your m mindset as well, or at least challenging it as you're going along. I think there's something in that, mm, uh, that connection. Interesting. One of your particular areas of interest is um, owner-managed and family-owned businesses. What attracts you to that? Why are you, what, what makes those guys and girls good people to deal with? Yes, well, I, again, I would say it's not something I was necessarily attracted to. It's something I found myself doing and then found I enjoyed doing it. Um, I, for me, the 
most uh, rewarding uh, uh, feature of working with uh, those sorts of businesses is the is the fact that there is a personal connection between the individuals you're dealing with and the and the, uh, uh, the businesses themselves. So, for example, um, uh, when I'm advising them, uh, when uh, I'm sending them invoices and they're paying me, I I, I know that they f f feel <laughs> what it is that they're that they're paying for. Um, uh, in some instances, it might make a difference as to whether they have a posh holiday or they don't have a posh holiday that year. It matters. And when you uh, help them with something, it matters too. There is uh, more than the usual sense of gratitude and uh, uh, th thankfulness in, in the solutions you've been able to put together because these are things that impact much more directly on their their lives uh, um, than would be the case in a in a business where you're dealing with somebody who's a highly intelligent steward of somebody else's assets rather than somebody whose assets they are themselves. And it's in and around there that, it, that, that, that is it's the thing that's most powerful, most meaningful, uh, most um, interesting, most rewarding. Mm for um, uh, people like me to see um, brothers that haven't really related to each other for 20 years um, having a hug in the car park or whatever is uh, moving uh, to um, help a family business from one generation to the next um, uh, dealing with a set of problems that they've never faced up to before, of course, or had to face up to before, but the sorts of problems that, of course, I would see all the time is uh, meaningful. It's, uh, it's uh, moving. Yeah, it's more than just financially rewarding, it's rewarding in other senses as well. Great, great. And uh, you say that people who run smaller businesses, family-owned businesses, um, have to deal with things that would make people in larger organisations as, you know, custodians of other people's money, panic, freak out, not able, not able to cope, which in some sense is perhaps some sort of neurosis you want to put yourself through that, uh, but it also shows some sort of demonstration of capability to be able to deal with, with you know, seriously high stress um, uh, situations. Uh, what do you think makes someone who's in that position um, capable of dealing with it? And what do you, what do you think the, that's capability then, what advantages does that give those individuals in a fast-changing world? Oh, well, there's all sorts of questions tied up in there. Um, first of all, one interesting place to start is, a, is, is in the place of choice, actually. I mean, who chooses to create a business and why do they choose to create one uh, when, assuming they're bright, intelligent and well-educated, there are a few other options open to them. Um, certainly graduates in the business school um, have all sorts of options open to them and the uh, choice of entrepreneurship is a choice of sleepless nights, uh, less pay, probably no pay at all, um, uh, high risk that the business isn't going to succeed at all uh, and the likelihood that their um, ability to earn good money in a consulting firm or an investment bank will, will, will at least be deferred for 
three, five, seven years or so. Um, so who chooses to do that and why do they choose to do that is, um, is an interesting question. Um, related to that is an interesting piece of research I read some years ago, which I'm often citing in the classroom, that um, uh, uh, entrepreneurs in the developed world, uh, when contrasted with senior managers in the developed world, are happier. Uh, entrepreneurs in the emerging world, when compared and contrasted with senior managers in businesses in the uh, uh, same part of the world, are less happy. Um, which uh, you can draw sorts of conclusions from. What, one, which of course is back to this attitude, this thing about choice, that for many people on this planet, creating their own business is not a matter of choice, it's a matter of necessity. Uh, but in some parts of the world, we're fortunate enough to be able to make that choice and therefore be happy, uh, happier about the choices that, that we have made. But yes, um, in the US, in the UK, in Europe, um, in, in the developed parts of the world, Japan, um, your choice is a personal one, something that you want to do. So where does that come from? takes us back where we started again. You want to do something that you can't do by joining another firm. Uh, you don't just want to make money, you want to uh, implement something different or uh, uh, address a real-world problem, a social problem, um, environmental problem that you don't think is uh, going to be nearly as well addressed or as satisfying for you if you join somebody else's organisation. Um, so your ability to connect back to things that you want to do, um, certainly in the developed world, uh, it, 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 it is important here. At the same time, I, as I'm always telling my students, I think that uh, uh, entre entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurial attitude is an unusual one. It's not the standard one. Um, uh, and that's got all sorts of implications when, as an entrepreneur, you recruit people. It's a mistake to assume that you need to recruit the entrepreneurial or, or that the people that you do recruit are necessarily entrepreneurial anyway. Um, uh, that's, and that's not, that's not a, uh, anything wrong with them, if, if anything. You're the, you're the odd one. They're, they're, they're the uh, n n normal one. Uh, but uh, uh, most people on this planet want to turn up at work at 9 o'clock. Uh, they want to go home at, in time to put the kids in the bath. Uh, they want holidays at regular times of the year. They want the comfort and security of a reasonably regular income, even if it goes up and down with bonuses and all the rest of it. They're not turned on necessarily by the ownership of the uh, entity that creates the income that they li live off. That they haven't got that owner management mindset that you as an entrepreneur have got. Um, and that's, that's the majority of humankind. Uh, so the, the, the minority of humankind, well, well, well first of all, you, you need to have that uh, sense of purpose, a sense of trying to achieve something, uh, and whatever it is, a sense that you can't get it somewhere else. Uh, you need to have that um, uh, arrogance that goes with uh, bi uh, the illusion of being in control of your own destiny, because by and large it is an illusion. Uh, your name on the door. Um, uh, uh, so there's, there's an arrogance there as well. You need the humility 
uh, to, 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 to accept that it's likely to fail, uh, that your first idea isn't going to work, so you're going to need to change it, uh, that you don't know what you're talking about, that you need to take uh, an outside advice. Um, you, need, you, you need to accept the risks that uh, go with creating your uh, own, own, uh, own business as well. And that, that, that combination is contradictory. Uh, it's unusual, um, uh, and certainly in an institution like this, where people have so many more opportunities, to, to rich, wealthy, uh, intellectually de demanding, emotionally satisfying ways of spending a time on a planet than, than, than creating your own business, um, the, that, that opportunity cost thing is a, is a huge influence here as well. Um, I'm often saying to my students, look, um, if you are going to create your business, make sure it's going to re reward you, however you define reward, more than the uh, alternatives that you've got out there. And part of your problem is that you have a, a lot of other things that you could be doing. There is an institution uh, that I have done some work with, not this one, but uh, not London Business School, but another one. I won't, won't name them, but. Um, when I worked with them on their entrepreneurship program, they overtly state that their, one of their key objectives is to create and foster the UK's next um, uh, generation of unicorns. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, for those of us who don't know, unicorns are, are businesses that at least have a notional valuation of more than a, a billion, usually US dollars, but let's call it pound sterling, um, which is an overt growth agenda, of course and an aggressive growth agenda. And it's built on an assumption that unicorns in, of themselves have a value. Uh, that, that, that there's nothing in that uh, objective that has anything to say about the health of the planet or, or um, uh, uh, other purposes for creating a business. <coughs> uh, it's also very one-dimensional. Uh, uh, ignores many of the things that we've been talking about, the c complexity of motivation, why it is that people g go out and create a business themselves anyway. Um, it's also increasing the risks significantly of, uh, of uh, a, a failure. Uh, as I'm often telling my students, they need to accept that uh, a unicorn is a mythical creature after all. And mythical creatures, students, don't exist in, in the real world. Your chances of turning yourself into a unicorn are infinitesimal small. Uh, if that's your only purpose for um, cr creating a business in the first place, you're almost doomed to uh, fail. But of course, in reality, it's not anyway. They're, what about the 99.9% .9 of other entrepreneurs who create a business and want to create a business that uh, doesn't fit into the, uh, under that particular heading or under the uh, presumptions, the assumptions that, um, uh, that uh, support it and reinforce it, which tend to take you towards technology rather than something else, tend to take you towards a VC-funded type of mindset, um, uh, none of which is wrong, I hasten to add, but it's only one conception as to uh, 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 what business is for or what entrepreneurship is about, 
or what growth is about either. Mm, interesting. Just trying to kind of link that thought to the to the kind of next. Um, there will be an inherent conflict between people involved in the business. Some people may wish to be going down the, the private equity route, or other people wish to be going down the, you know, we want to be staying true to our values or whatever. Um, other people will be wanting to be going, you know, going for one, shutting down one product line, going going towards another. Um, and one of your specialities is is mediation um, and in of these type of situations uh, where in these, these small businesses, family-owned businesses, everything's personal. Could you talk about how you, you mediate something? Let's just take, take going back to the you know, purpose of, of this conversation. If you've got something that is so kind of, um, people feel so philosophically strong about, strongly about, such as, you know, climate change, um, and there's, there's a, a breakdown amongst the management of these, these owner-operated family-owned businesses in that, how do you mediate that type of philosophical question? Yeah, it's a, it's a, again, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer, but only because every situation is going to be fundamentally different from one one from the other um, but 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 in terms of reach, reaching towards an answer um, a lot of the uh, work that I do a lot of the processes we put in place are processes that involve uh, finding an opportunity for everybody to have their say uh, not just the noisy ones uh, but the thoughtful ones not just the powerful ones but the other people who do have the choice as to whether they're going to continue working in this organisation or not. Um, uh, uh, finding a way of um, outing you know, all, all of those perspectives and then seeing if we can find a way of reconciling those perspectives. Um, and you might not be able to. Uh, the outcome of, of such a process might be that uh, the outcome is not one that involves everybody staying together. Might well be one that involves people moving in different directions. So we're kind of moved on to the topic of succession. Um, clearly something that, uh, f since the dawn of time, has captured kind of the, the, the public imagination, like from King Lear to the you know, recent TV series and um, in, in um, fiction and in, in reality. Why are we so interested as, as a general population yes. and what, what does that again, tell us again, about Back to our beginning of our discussion, you cite Shakespeare, King Lear, you cite Succession, some glorious TV dramas and uh, we could carry on with literature couldn't we and uh, uh, the, the, the arts and immediately see connections and insights and provocations and challenges and solutions or whatever that uh, we are in danger of depriving ourselves in a in a business school or in business discourse by dismissing it as an entertainment or or or, or, or theatre. But we've 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 we've, <laughs> we've we've talked about that already. But um, the fact is that all that stuff is out there so commonly in in literature and entertainment and theatre and TV and film uh, uh, does d demonstrate that in, uh, that they're interested in it. Uh, that it, it's stuff that matters to us um, uh, and it matters to us even though we have uh, no meaningful chance of experiencing it anyway because we, we don't come from a family business environment or succession is something that only means something in terms of inheritance tax rather than in terms of the transfer of business assets at, at, at succession times so even though we're not personally 
likely to experience some of those things. We're still interested in it, which suggests that there is something that there's um, d d deep in the human psyche in, 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 in and around where that, that those sorts of things matter. Which then is why, you know, King Lear, Henry IV, parts one and two, do have something to, uh, to tell those of us in family business, <laughs> uh, involved in family business, uh, but, but it also has some resonances for those of us who aren't, aren't in family business as well. Um, the best answer I can give to your problem is, it's just because. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's stuff that, it's the way human beings are, 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 are minded to think and feel. It's what matters to us the most. Right. <laughs> um, okay, again, taking it back to, to kind of conversation on climate. Uh, climate change could be very well argued as a problem of us undervaluing future generations. You know, we are looking, we're, we're, we're too concerned with today and now and yeah. whatever and you know, keeping our own quality of life going without worrying too much about what's, what's, what's happening to, mm. to our kid, kids and grandkids. Um, what lessons can be learned from kind of healthy long-term value creation from family businesses and family business, business succession? Yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd, I'd again redefine the, the problem a little bit in, uh, first of all. I think that um, Part of the problem with the human psyche is our, um, our tendency to worry more about the past than about the future, to worry about our reputation as defined by what we have done rather than by what we might do. Um, it's about this asymmetry in human motivation that um, uh, the OB, Organisational Behaviour Guys, will rightly talk about. Um, and how that impacts on decision taking and attitudes to risk as well. And uh, I, I would argue that one thing that's distinctive about the entrepreneurial mindset, one, one of the things unusual about these freaks that we call entrepreneurs, is th these are the guys who are wired the other way around. They are more worried about the future than they are the past. They don't care about last year's failure nearly so much. They are more worried about uh, next year's success and the risks that are associated with that, which, which uh, helps make that other connection between the entrepreneurial mindset and the uh, uh, health of the planet mindset and the entrepreneur who is worried about using business as a f force, for e force for ecological, sociological, environmental, whatever it is, good, as well as uh, financial gain. Um, there's something in that, that discourse about entrepreneurship that uh, it has got some important lessons for us. There's also something in uh, uh, family business and uh, the succession challenges that come with family businesses that's important for us as well because um, family business, uh, for all the problems that are associated with it, has some significant qualities, characteristics, advantages, if you wish. I might define them as disadvantages too, but I think they're advantages in this sense, which is that willingness, uh, that wish to think longer term, uh, that wish to, uh, uh, that ability to free yourself from the um, shackles of the quarterly reporting statement, uh, the uh, ability to think in terms of generations, to think in terms of decades to, to make a connection between uh, what your grandchildren who don't exist yet 
might be doing uh, and the, the, the business which you're also involved in that that, that, that connection uh, is uh, one that then takes us uh, straight to the uh, other or other long-term ch challenges facing humankind more generally mm. uh, which takes us straight to the environmental the ecological the, uh, the, 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 the health of the planet and then if we uh, uh, realize that uh, many second, third, fourth uh, generation players and family businesses, or soon to be players and family businesses, uh, uh, are a lot more minded in business terms to be motivated by more than the, the, the merely financial. Uh, th 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 then there's some connections there that, uh, once I give us hope, that we can take advantage of. Uh, joining, joining up some of those dots is, is going to help. I would suggest that somebody who's interested in their grandchildren's connection with the business in 30, 40, 50 years time is more likely to be thinking longer term than somebody who's worried about whether they're going to get re-elected in 18 months time or not. Necessarily the first constituency, if I can call it that, is going to be more minded to think the thoughts that matter about the planet mm -hmm. and the uh, uh, second constituency, which they can be forgiven, but we can understand why he is m more likely to take dumb decisions if it means he's going to get to uh, ha have a job in 18 months' time. Is there also something to do with not only kind of intergenerational uh, connections and thinking forward, but also the connections of the people that you're sitting with? Like, was, if they are your family members, they are your blood. Is, does that create a different attitude in the organisation than if you just your, your, um, your colleagues? It, uh, it uh, can create a different attitude within the um, organisation. Uh, in a big family business, it uh, can be surprisingly weak, I hasten to add. Um, you might well be involved in you know, third or fourth generation family business um, relating with uh, cousins, second cousins, third cousins, who, in, in effect, you know, know better, probably a good deal worse than non-family members who, who, who you work with in the business all the time. Um, uh, so uh, the family business, as they, they pass through the generations themselves, go through significant changes uh, as uh, um, the echo the growth changes that we've been talking about as well so I think it's, it's possible to overestimate on occasions the strength and purpose of those uh, uh, blood connections in the family business uh, certainly in the, in, in the bigger older more established family business but nonetheless they are there of course uh, and if you're carrying the name that's also on the d door of the business that, that, that does matter. It doesn't matter to you. It uh, matters to the people who talk to you and uh, 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 relate to you in business terms as, as well as in non-business terms. I, th I think that um, what's m more important or most important for this d discussion that if you're uh, uh, talking family business, you're more likely to be talking longer term uh, than not. Uh, if you're not talking family business, you're more likely to be talking shorter term than not. Uh, and that has, that's very relevant for what, uh, the, um, the, the planetary discussion. Great. Okay, so you're going to move on a little bit. Um, one of your other kind of key areas of interest is uh, managing corporate turnarounds. And there's a lot of parallels in this, interesting parallels in this to the whole kind of your um, energy mm. transition uh, climate space. Turnarounds will typically be at a point where you it's you left it a bit too late, 
you've ignored a lot of warning signs and suddenly it's a crisis and you're going, whoa, what do we do here? <laughs> Which is kind of similar to where we are now, now with, uh, with climate. Uh, but, hmm. yet, but yet we're, we're, in a, we're in a space where there's a lot of people who are still kind of needing persuasion that, that something needs to be done. It's a bit like a corporate turnaround or climate. We're driving really quickly in the fog and we know there's a cliff in front of us, we just don't know how far it is. But how do you persuade someone to slow down, stop, reverse, um, in either a corporate turnaround or in climate It's interesting, isn't it? You know, in my final class of my corporate turnaround course, um, I uh, managed a discussion with the students, t telling them, well, in effect, putting a thesis on the table that the course is misnamed, that the course shouldn't be called Managing Corporate Turnaround, uh, it should be called managing a business in difficulty or something like that. Um, so a subtext of the um, course uh, shouldn't be about saving and turning around, but, 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 but accepting that uh, running a business that's in difficulty is going to be something we all going to experience. It's, it, it, it's normal life. Um, and I then go on somewhat provocatively to say that they a course on how to manage a business that's going through really difficult times should be a core course rather than an elective, as the managing corporate uh, turnaround course is, um, is, is where we should be as a business school. And I would then, I do, go further and argue that in the business school it's very easy for us to bring along success stories. It's very easy to talk about growth. It's very easy to write case studies uh, about how to do things well, <clears throat> uh, but that's not the reality that you will face, my friend, when you go out there into the real world. It's quite likely you'll be uh, responsible for a business that is failing, uh, and it's got nothing to do with you, well, not much to do with you. It's, 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 it's what the world is like, <laughs> and bringing into the business school people who are prepared to talk about failure, who are prepared to talk about what didn't work, uh, is difficult. Uh, people only like to talk about what is or has worked uh, and uh, takes us back to definitions of history and uh, uh, a, a realisation that in a business school almost necessarily we uh, have a distorted perspective. Uh, history is written by the winners, not by the losers. Um, but uh, at least 50% of the, the world are losers rather than winners. <coughs> um, uh, and in business, I would argue even more. Uh, so, um, so, 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 so back where we started in terms of uh, of uh, uh, corporate turnaround, I think that if we rename our thought about our, our subject, managing business in distress, or managing business in difficult times, and accepting that that's part of normal management, then that's an interesting metaphor, is it not, for life on the planet? That this isn't about turning a planet around, this is about managing a planet that's in, that's in a difficult place, that uh, has probably always been in a difficult place, that will always be in a difficult place. Um, this is not about managing a process that's somehow going to end up with us all, with, a, with the, um, the, uh, the tiger lying down to the lamb again. It's, uh, uh, um, uh, but it's about changing attitudes to success, changing attitudes to responsibility, changing attitudes to how we 
uh, uh, define our own uh, own roles uh, uh, on the planet, just as it is in terms of defining our own role in, in terms of um, uh, success in the in, in the business as well. One of the lessons we came up with quite quickly in, when we're exploring corporate turnaround is what is success. Uh, well, the answer is it depends who you ask and when you ask them, uh, uh, because different people have a very different perspective uh, and uh, at any one stage there will be winners and there will be losers um, and that's true on this planet as well of course I'm afraid um, uh, that uh, regardless as to how we manage our, our, our own futures there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers as a consequence uh, and we need to accept that that is um, uh, uh, that, that, that is uh, a part of the human experience. Now we're accepted, let's manage this in the best way that we can, that's in the interest of uh, uh, as many stakeholders as possible, um, uh, uh, and uh, t t try and make sure that we have as uh, long a uh, involvement with this planet as we possibly can as a, as a species going forward. Uh, that we do our best to make sure we have a, um, uh, a, a positive experience for ourselves and all the other species that are on this planet as well, yeah. uh, rather than one that's about turning it around <coughs> uh, and realising some uh, uh, idealistic state which never existed in the first place. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, just in conclusion, uh, I think we've had a great conversation. Uh, really, mm, really enjoyed, enjoyed it, um, and hopefully it'll it'll have resonated with a number of our of our of our listeners, viewers. Good. Um, one thing that a kind of common themes comes through is the importance of kind of looking ahead and planning, and um, that's something that is in a lot of cases easier said than done. You know, it's you know, a plan is as good as you know until you hit first contact, get punched in the face, all of those those those, those kind of analogies with it. Um, if you could give one top tip for effective planning in um, a con continual state of transformation, which I think we, we kind of we understand we need to do to to survive, uh, what what would it be? Um, there's Eisenhower's line, isn't there, which you might have heard before, that um, plans are useless but planning is important. I haven't quoted him exactly. I, uh, f for me, that's the thing that's most meaningful. Um, just because your plan is wrong doesn't mean it's been a waste of time doing the planning uh, because your plan will be wrong but that but that's not its point planning is an act of lifting your head up and th thinking about the future if you do lift your head up and think about the future doesn't mean it's going to work out well for you but I uh, venture to suggest that it's a lot more likely to end up well for you than if you take the view that because plans are always going to be wrong, but the act of planning is not worth doing in the first place. Great, brilliant. Okay. Robert, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us on that conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you uh, learned something. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please feel free to leave a five-star review and to subscribe to any of our channels and we'll be sure to keep you updated on future productions. This series is produced by United Renewables in collaboration with the London Business School Alumni Energy Club. These are conversations that you just can't afford to miss.